Acts chapter 12. I want to read a sort of a lengthy passage in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Tell you what, let's go back in the 11th chapter and begin in verse 27. Get the whole story. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. And in, in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great worth throughout all the world, a great famine, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now about that same time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it, that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him unto four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, A raise up, a rise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did, and he said unto him, Cast your garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wished not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hands of Herod, and from the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel, it's his ghost, his spirit. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And he, beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, 
And he said, Go show these, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went unto another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stare among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. That, that, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. And the word of God grew and was multiplied. I want to entitle this little study, When You Can't Do Anything Else. When You Can't Do Anything Else. I think this was probably the most severe trial that had ever come onto the, upon the church at this point. The scribes and the Pharisees, they hated the Lord Jesus Christ. They persecuted him everywhere he went. His trouble was not from the open and profane. It wasn't from the harlots and the drunks and the publican. But the ones who hated the Lord Jesus most and persecuted him were these were these uh, Pharisees and these scribes. Finally, they had taken him and by their wicked hands had crucified him and slew him. And because they couldn't get to him anymore, now they turned on the church. They threatened them, don't speak in his name anymore or we'll beat you. When they refused to do that, they did beat them and, and persecuted them. But during all the persecution of the scribes and Pharisees and the church increased. It multiplied greatly. And then, then Saul of Tarsus, he, he had uh, persecuted the church, made havoc of it, he said. Even in the strange countries, that man hated Christ and his church so much that he went into foreign countries, hauled them back to Jerusalem, and gave his voice against men and women to be kept in jail or even to die. So they were persecuted up until this time. But here, this persecution here seems to be the worst persecution that they had suffered up until now. And the reason I say that is found here in our text. The civil authority had now turned on the church. Did you notice that? The king, this man who, who was a king, who, who ruled, who had the authority over this country... He turned on them now himself to vex, to harass certain of the church. Even killed James with a sword, decapitated him, and was going to do Peter the same way until this angel delivered him. But here's the point I wanted to make about this. What would you and I think, brothers and sisters, if, if above all our other persecutions that we suffer, and all saints suffer persecution. What would you and I do if the civil authority 
turned on us as it did on this church. Uh, God has set up the civil authority for the most part to protect just people, to protect the church. And our country has always protected the church. God meant it to do that. You and I can gather here this morning without any fear of somebody going to come in here and disturb this worship service. If they do, we'll call the, the authorities on them. They'll come and take them away and probably charge them with a crime of disturbing the peace or something. But they're here to protect us. What would we do if it come to the point where, where the government that God has ordained to protect us suddenly turned on us? Instead of protecting us from persecution, it turned to be the chief persecutor. I remember this, this spring, all of us witnessed something about this this spring and the Arab Spring. We heard so much about that now. And some of these dictators and so on have been over, overthrown. And there in, in Egypt, Gaddafi, was that his name, Gaddafi? These guys, boy, these, these names. But that, that fellow, as horrible as he was, you know he protected Christianity there in his nation. It's much worse for those who profess Christ there now than it was before they got rid of that fellow. I didn't know this, but I read, I read this a while back. fellow showed me a document that when, when Iraq made their constitution, came up with their constitution, our government, and which whoever it was, insisted that they have a repugnancy clause in their constitution. And it stated that nothing could be said against Islam. Well, there in Egypt this, this year, when they took over that country, they cut a man's head off and they showed it on national TV. I've got a huge photograph there in my office with a knife to his neck just before they started cutting it. And one of the reasons they cut his head off was because of this repugnancy clause that they got over in Iraq. And the repugnancy clause says this, anything that offends Islam... And one of the things that that young man did to defend Islam was to say this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I have no idea. I'm not here to judge whether he was honest, whether he knew the Lord or not. But I'm just saying this. When the government turns on you and the government refuses to protect you, I tell you it opens the door for all sorts of other people other means to step in and persecute you all. Don't you appreciate our country? I tell you, I've come to love this nation uh, more than ever when you realize that it's God that has raised up this government and keeps this government, these base politicians that pass laws and have the authority to protect the church. What would, where would we be this morning if the authority comes and says, you can't gather? You can't profess the name of Jesus Christ openly. If we hear you quoting scriptures, you're in trouble. What would we do if the government stepped in and shut us down? That's where the church was at this time. The religious authority couldn't do it. They prospered under that persecution. But now the civil authority comes in and they says, you will shut your mouth. And you know, shut their mouths they did. There was no preaching going on. James sure wouldn't preach it. 
Peter wasn't preaching. He was laying between two soldiers. The church, for the most part, had even ceased to preach. They were hiding out for fear of King Herod. What are we to do, brothers and sisters, if that we're brought to a place in the providence of God where we can't do anything? What can we do? Well, I tell you what the church did. And we have it here in verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. When you and I can do nothing else, we can do this. We can pray to God. We can seek God's face. If I ever promoted anything, if I was ever bold enough to do any, promote anything over preaching, you know what it would be. The only thing I can think about that I'd ever promote over preaching, and that would be praying. I tell you, the Lord, and I found this out in the, trying to pastor a church, the Lord can take a little that is said through much weakness from the pulpit and greatly use it for His glory when the church is praying and seeking His face. And I tell you, there's some great preaching going on that amounts to nothing when the church is not seeking God's face in prayer. If I had one request to ask of any of you this morning or, or the church that I pastor at home, it wouldn't be your money. We all need some of that, don't we? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be your love. I covet your love. God knows I covet that. But you know if I had one request to ask you this, you this morning, you know what that request would be. Pray for me. Oh, brothers and sisters, pray for me. Seek God's face for me. Somebody said that's, that's the least we can do. I'm telling you, I think that's the most that we can do. I went to church one time and I was so disappointed. They, they sang and, and then they read the scriptures and they had preaching. And we went home and nobody prayed. And somebody said, well, they forgot. I said, that's the sad thing about it. That they forgot. They forgot that there's not this attitude of prayer among the church. That we can go a whole service and not pray. That we forget to pray. I think sometimes that it would be good for us if the church was brought to the place where she can do nothing else but pray. When we're brought there, what can we do? Well, here's what the early church did. Prayer was made to God continually for Him. I was talking with dear John Mitchell. Some of you know of John Mitchell. Sarah, Sarah and Doug, Sarah's you know Sarah and Doug, messenger, and that's Sarah's dad. And he is such a fine man, such a good preacher. And he lives way up in northern Montana. I go out there when I can and see him. But the last time I was out there, he has Parkinson's, and all he can do now is just lay in the bed. They have to help him up and everything. It's, he can't feed himself. He's just shaking. And he said, I've wore myself out shaking. And he can't do anything. He can't preach anymore. He can't get out of the house. And I said, John, would you do me a favor while you're laying here? Helpless to do anything else. Would you do me a favor? He said, what in the world can I do for you? I said, would you pray for me? 
Would you seek God's face for me? Brothers and sisters, I covet that more than anything else. If you ever think about me, pray unto God for me. Pray one for another. One thing I've noticed about studying in the life of the Apostle Paul, and I notice this in every epistle, except in the epistles of Galatia, and I think it's even implied there, but every epistle that man wrote, one of the things that stands out more than anything else, he said, I pray for you. Can you imagine the time that man must have spent in prayer, praying? Oh, let us pray, brothers and sisters, one for another. Pray ye one for another that you may be healed. When we can do nothing else, pray. Pray. We see something here about prayer. I think we see something here about what the prayer of faith truly is. What is the prayer of faith? I think this church was praying by faith. I think they were praying in faith. What does it mean to pray in faith? Does it mean that we know that God's going to do what we ask Him for? I don't think it means that. Sometimes it may mean that. Sometimes the Lord may let us know, this is what I want you to pray for. This is my will and I'm going to answer it. But how many of us have had that experience? Most of the time we pray not knowing what God is going to do with our prayers. Isn't that so? And you know when he answered their prayer, they were shocked. They were astonished. Lord, would you please deliver Peter? Okay, I will. My goodness, he delivered Peter. They were shocked, weren't they? So the prayer of faith is not praying and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to answer my prayer and do what I ask him to do. But you know what the prayer of faith is? It's believing that he's able. He's able. Abraham was a man of faith. He lived by faith. He prayed by faith. And the scripture says this about that man. Abraham being not weak in faith. He wasn't. We were strong in faith. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. But being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. That's what faith is. That's what praying in faith is. I don't know if he's going to, but I know this. He's able. And therefore, we seek him in prayer. I know whom I have believed. And I know he's able. God is able. And when this gets into our hearts, I tell you, it provokes a response. And what's our respond? Prayer. Prayer. The scriptures everywhere encourages us to pray because the Lord is able. Listen to these passages of scripture. Psalms 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify and when we believe that he's able to deliver us in our trouble, just believing he's able provokes this response. We pray, Lord, deliver me. Listen to Psalms 20. The Lord hear you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defends you and send thee help. 
from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Is the Lord able to help me? Is he able to strengthen me? When we're convinced that he's able, that provokes this response. Prayer. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's what made this church pray. Is he able to deliver Peter? We want to keep Peter. We've done lost James. And now they're going to kill Peter tomorrow. They're going to sever his head. Lord, would you please, you're able to deliver him out of their hands. And brothers and sisters, that's faith. That's the prayer of faith. When you can do nothing else, pray. Pray. He's able. He is able. And secondly, when we can do nothing else, maybe we've reached the point where we can't pray. Maybe we've reached the point where we can't witness, we can't preach, we can't worship publicly, we can't even pray. When we've done, by the grace of God, everything we can, and you can't do nothing else, you know what we're allowed to do? Just what Peter did. There's a time to quit doing anything but sleep. There's a time when God permits us to rest and sleep. And this is what we're told here in verse 6 that I read to you. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Ain't that amazing? This is one of the most amazing things because I know and you know this man's whole attitude towards other people. He had a fear of man that was somewhat uncommon. He was intimidated by other people. You think if some little girl walked up in your face and looked at you and said, you're a Christian, would you deny it? Peter did. He even cursed and swore he didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that little maid, when she opened her mouth, he thought he was looking at a lion. It scared him to death. He just wielded before her. So I don't know him. I don't know him. But here he is sleeping between two soldiers. There was another time when Peter denied the gospel. In Galatians chapter 2, he denied the gospel because the Jews was coming down and he said, boy, I can't confess the gospel here. And he denied the gospel. And here he is sleeping. He's sleeping between two soldiers. Ain't that amazing? The very night, this made it more, more wonderful than anything else, the very night in which he was to be Brought before Herod this king, he was sleeping. The very night before he was to be executed, to have his head severed from his shoulders, we're told here that he was sleeping. And this man knew something about eternity too, didn't he? He knew about death. He knew about after death, the judgment and eternity. And yet he was sleeping. I want to give you six things right quickly that enabled this man to sleep in the face of these circumstances. Six simple things that this man knew, Peter knew. And if you and I know these things, brothers and sisters, we go home tonight and we can pillow our heads and lay down and sleep. First of all, Peter knew this. He knew the Lord. He knew the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Two times he made that confession. The Lord one time asked him, Peter, who do you say I am? And he said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That's who you are. On another occasion, the Lord asked him and the others, when everybody else was going away, he said, you guys want to take this opportunity and leave with them? You got my permission. You want to go away? Man, what a question. You want to come? You want to go away? Isn't that a question? And Peter said, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and I believe and I'm sure that you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith of that, the knowledge of that, the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. No earthly king or no devil can prevail against the knowledge and faith that you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I never will forget one time, it's one of the worst trials that I was ever in, and I can't explain it. And, 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 and I don't even know if I've told anybody about this or not. People think you're crazy. I guess if you, they think you're... But it was days I got into this awful spiritual depression. And, and I can't even explain it, but it was like all this pressure in my mind. It just overwhelmed my soul and my spirit was so heavy and so fearful. And I didn't know what was happening to me. And one night I was laying on my bed and my soul was trembling. It was just awful. And I don't know if I said it. I don't know if the words come to me. But here's what I said. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that all that left me, just suddenly it left me. I have no idea how to explain that. But I do know this. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the gates of hell itself will never prevail against you. You can go and pillow your head and you can sleep tonight. The second thing Peter knew was this. He knew what Christ had done for him concerning his sins. Here's what Peter said. He made these two wonderful statements in his first epistle. He said, He hath who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And the next chapter he said this. Christ hath once Suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He bare our sins in his own body, and then he suffered for those sins. By his own bloodshedding, by his own death, those sins were punished in his body, and they were purged away. 2,000 years ago, Peter said, our sins we're put away. Isn't that the most amazing thing? One man said, the only way that you and I are allowed to consider our sins as believers is that they have been purged. That's wonderful for this reason. What is it that bothers us when we think of death? When we think about standing before the eternal God, what is it that bothers me? It's my sins. I read a story when I was just a, a young, very young person. I read a story about a young mountain climber out west somewhere that got up on the mountain and, and he was, got lost in a storm and he died there and they found him. 
uh, days later, they found him. And they, by his frozen body, they found this little note that he had scribbled. My greatest fear, will God forgive my sins? I tell you, that's something to be afraid about, ain't it? Will God forgive my sins? If I can be persuaded that my sins have already been borne by someone else. And that my sins have been satisfied before God. And that they've been purged from me. And I'll never be charged with them anymore. Oh, I tell you what a relief. What a rest for my soul. Even my body. Oh, Martin Luther used to preach to his congregation. And he said, when the devil comes to you. And he says, you're the greatest sinner in the world. And look at your sins. You know they're like mountains that's raised high over your head. And you're worthy of hell. Luther said, tell him this. Yes, I'm a sinner. And yes, my sins are more than can be numbered. But Jesus Christ in the days of his flesh satisfied for my sins upon the cross of Calvary. And he says, devils cannot stand before such a gospel. Our sins, brothers and sisters, are gone. They've been purged by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter knew that. So here you find him sleeping. Here you find him sleeping between two soldiers. My sins are all taken away. Thirdly, he knew this. He knew that he had an advocate with a father. One to plead and maintain his cause. Peter was on earth, and I'm telling you, everything seemed bad. It seemed bad. But he had one in heaven that was making sure everything in heaven was right on Peter's behalf. And brothers and sisters, if everything is right with us in heaven, what does it matter how things are with us on this earth? Remember when the Lord Jesus told Peter one time, he said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. And he can do it too, Peter. He, you, you're no match for him. But Lord, I'm an apostle. You're no match for the devil. Lord, I've, I've, I've cast devils out in your name. In my name you've done it. You let the devil get a hold of you. The devil has desired to have you that he may sift you. And Peter, the only thing that secures you is this. I have prayed for you. And boy, Peter remembered that. I reckon he did. He was sleeping. He must have remembered these things. Listen to what David said. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You're my glory and the lifter up of my head. Therefore, lay, I laid me down and slept. And I woke because the Lord has sustained me. I will not fear, therefore, he says. I will not be afraid, though ten thousands of people and trials and afflictions and everything else should rise up against me. And listen to what he said in another place. I will lay me down and sleep, for the Lord only maketh me to dwell in Got an advocate with a father. And it don't make any difference, brothers and sisters. What I've done, how I've sinned, 
And I don't, I don't advocate for a minute, and I don't believe any of you will for a minute, to hear this and go out and live a life that is contrary to God's will and for His glory. But isn't it wonderful when we think no matter what situation we're in, where it's our fault or not, that between us and our Father in heaven, we got one to plead and maintain our cause. One old fellow said, when I can, I pray. When I cannot, he yet prays for me. What an advocate with the Father. I cleave to him. And oh, I want a, I want a firmer hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you can't cleave, he still cleaves to you. Bless his name. Fourthly is this. Peter knew this also. He tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. He said this about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, He is gone unto heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels, authorities, and powers being made subject to Him. And boy, I tell you what. This may not mean anything for you know, to you and me, we're sitting here pretty well free this morning. Government ain't going to come in and bother us. But let us, let us have the wrath of this king, Herod, come down upon us, arrest us, and lay us between two soldiers chained and send out the word, I'm going to cut your head off tomorrow. Wouldn't this be somewhat of a comfort? You may or you may not. You may will to do it, but there's a higher will over your will. Who are you, Herod? You're just a pawn in the hands of the Son of God. You're nothing. He can dispose of you so easy. Your breath is in your nostrils. He can take it out and send worms to eat your body. Jesus Christ is the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth, and Herod's heart is in his hands. And he can just turn it wherever he pleased. Uh, and Peter said, well, since that's the case, I think I'll take me an out. I'll just sleep. You and I are so concerned about this election we're about to face, aren't we? And I'm concerned about it too. I live in a nation that I love. I know the kind of government I want. And I'm going to do everything lawfully and legally and morally and, or whatever to seek to maintain the kind of government that I think we should have. And I hope you feel the same way. But you know when we've done everything we can do, you know who sets a man up, and you know who pulls him down. We know, don't we? We know that. And isn't that comforting? These fellows, politicians. I'm amazed at them. Boy, they just... They think they've got all this power. You know what Daniel called them? The basest of men. God rules in the kingdom of men, and he sets over it the basest. We honor them. We call them honorable sirs when we write a letter to them, and we pray for them. But I tell you what, they're just base as they can be. I think that's why God sets such men over our nation. To let the church know that those men aren't the ones that's protecting you. I'm the one that's protecting you. They can do nothing. 
They're just like Herod. When I'm finished with them, I'll send worms to eat them. And these two soldiers, I wonder what they thought as they saw, as Peter was laying there between those two guys. I wonder, I wonder how that was going. They were chained to both of these soldiers, and, and I can just almost see one of them. I almost see him raised up and look over, and Peter's laying there asleep. He's saying, man, alive. How can this guy sleep when they're going to cut his head off tomorrow? Ah, he's just one of those ignorant Christians. Boy, wouldn't you hate to be in his shape? Knowing you just had one more day to live in this world? Wouldn't that be awful? I'm glad I'm not in his shoes. Who was it killed the next day? Wasn't Peter, was it? These same soldiers. They're the ones that lost their life. Well, you can't tell, can you? I visited, a, we have a nursing home service, and, and we, I go there to visit these people. A lot of times the husband will move in with the wife. They've got to set up where you can do that. And, and, and Bob and Martha was their names. And Bob had moved in with Martha because Martha was about dead, and Bob was still strong and healthy. And I'd go sit and I'd talk some with Martha. She didn't understand much. But I'd sit and talk with Bob. And Bob Bob would tell me all these plans that he had when Martha died. I said, boy, Bob, that's good. You'll, you'll probably do it, man. You're healthy and everything. Oh, yeah, I've got it, this and that. And I went in one morning and, and Bob wasn't there. I said, where's Bob? And they said, he died. Two years ago, Martha's still living. Bob is dead. We don't know, do we? Well, we're young. You're here this morning and you're young. And you look on your parents and you look on your grandparents. And you say, boy, we'll bury them. They may bury you. And that's all in the hands of the Lord. And when we face that, we can lay down and rest. Who is it that rules, brothers and sisters? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's gone into heaven. And angels in heaven and angels in hell. And all the kings and all people and the birds. And, and our hairs of our head, Brother Doug. They're all in His care. And He does according to His will. And it makes us lay down and rest our heads. Think of this fifthly. Two more things. Think of this. Peter had this precious promise. The Lord Jesus, the last thing he said to the Apostle Peter before he went back to heaven was this. All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to all nations. And listen to what he told Peter. I am with you always. And just stop right there, don't you? I am with you always. Was he with him laying here between these two soldiers? Always. Always. Be content, brothers and sisters, with such things as you have. And whatever situation you find yourself in, be content with it. For he hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man can do unto me. If the Lord is with me, why should I fear? 
you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and most of those martyrs were killed out in public. They either put them on a big old stack of wood and set the wood on fire and, and burned them publicly, or they threw them out on the horns of beast in a big public arena. But one of the good things about dying publicly, you got some of these people out there saying, Hang in there, brother. Lord bless you, brother. You've got just another few minutes, brother, and you're going to be with the Lord. The angels are going to wrap your soul up and bury you into Abraham's bosom. Hang in there, brother. You had somebody there with you. But boy, here Peter was down in this dungeon. That'd be awful, wouldn't it? You ever think about poor old John the Baptist when, when, Herod, when Herod said, Send down there to the dungeon? Don't bring him out now among those who love him and support him. Take his head off while he's down there in the dungeon. Man, that had been awful. Here sat John the Baptist by himself down there in that damp, dark dungeon. And here comes these soldiers and said, Get your head on that block, man. I'm going to whack it off. Man, by yourself. Nobody to cheer you. Nobody to encourage you. But there was somebody there. The one who counted was there. I am with you. Always. Brothers and sisters, you won't find yourself in a situation in this world. I don't care what it is. That he's not with you. You're going through the fire. He's right there in the fire with you. You're going through the rivers. If you're overflowed, let's say you're overflowed. He'll be overflowed with you. One man said, I'd rather be in hell with him is to be in heaven without him. He'd make heaven, he'd make hell heaven, wouldn't he? If he was there with you. And I guess heaven would be hell without him. I am with you always. And lastly, think of this. This wasn't the first time Peter had been in jail I tell you experience. Sometimes experience teaches us a lot, doesn't it? I imagine as Peter laid there, laid there in jail, his mind went back to a few years before this when he'd been put in jail before. And the very night before they were to be brought out then to those Pharisees and scribes of the Sanhedrin, the angel came and delivered them just as he did here. And don't you imagine Peter said, Well, this seems familiar. I think I've been here before. And the Lord delivered me before, and if it's His will, He can do it again. This is why I love it when the Lord saves people when they're young. They experience all these things with Him. How He's delivered them, how He's kept them, and boy, you can look back and say, I've been there before. Some of you have been through some trials, haven't you? Only you and God know some of the trials that you've been through. You don't tell anybody. Some things we keep in here, don't we? Buddy, we went through some trials. I have, and some of you have too. Has he ever failed us? Has he ever let us down? Has he ever let one promise fall to the ground? We know that big spirits, don't we? And you know something, brothers and sisters, he won't. He won't let you down. You say, oh, Bruce, it's been a bad day. It's been a bad day. 
But don't experience tells you that he won't let you down. Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be bad. But you think he'll let you down? No, he won't. No, he won't. Experience tells us we can trust him. Go home tonight. Pray and commit yourself to him. And lay down and sleep. He giveth his beloved rest. And if his will, you'll get up in the morning because he sustains you. And you'll go and you'll face this wretched world full of sin and devils again because he's faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. Morning by morning, new mercies I see.